My name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to episode number 29 of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast, featuring a conversation that I had with a dear sister who, for this episode, is interviewing me on the topics of psychedelic leadership. Meeting ayahuasca, I would say, was like the real turning point of like, oh, okay, this is my path. You're my teacher. And this is what I want to dedicate my life to. And um, and that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people listening who work with ayahuasca. And I also happen to be <laughs> my, my father's daughter, which I would say is just radically stubborn in the way that I want to live my life. And choosing to work with medicines in a way that is outside the box but really dedicating my life to what it means to listen to a direct transmission from the plant medicines themselves without it being like, oh, I need to fit into this plant medicine box or this plant medicine box or this, you know, it has to be done this way or that way. The moment that I drank medicine for the first time, I I knew that I had a lot to learn from her and how I could just show up as a human being working with a plant like all human beings have done for millennia, you know? I would say that was really the turning point. I realized that my dharma was to cultivate the understanding in myself around what it means to be a visionary. And that's the path of the bodhisattva is, is, you know, I tr- I'm training my heart and my mind to stay open in the face of suffering, in the face of discomfort, so that when I go and support someone else who's having a hard time keeping their heads above water, I don't jump in and then drown myself. I'm training my body and my heart and my mind to be able to be resilient enough so that I can show up with fortitude to support other people. That's essentially this notion that I said earlier is that we can only support people to the degree that we've gone ourselves. So a few weeks ago, I was invited to speak on my friend Natasha Pelgrom. (laughs) Okay, I can't get her. Her last name is Dutch. It's (laughs) Pelgrom. Natasha Pelgrom. Her podcast called The Awaken Podcast. I just call her Natasha because, you know, it's easier. And when she interviewed me for her podcast, I wasn't planning on sharing that conversation here, but it occurred to me afterwards. You know, I'm always asking myself, how can I change things up? How can I do things differently? And I also speak to this in this conversation with Natasha, like looking at what the mold is. Like in this case, how is this podcast quote unquote supposed to look? And then asking myself, what are all the ways I can do it differently? And then I thought, well, why not share that episode, that conversation that I had with her podcast, the Awaken podcast. And one of the things I'm really learning, and I mean, I am getting this on a whole new freaking level, is how to peel the layers back, you know, and really show up in my authentic expression of who I am. And let's just be honest. (laughs) Let's just be honest about this. It is easier said than done. It's just, it really is just easier said than done. You know, we can talk 
all about being authentic. Let's just be authentic. And then when there's those moments where I say something that's pretty edgy, you know, and I'm, I'm really actually realizing how often I do push the envelope, so to speak, about the topics that I, I'm speaking about. And it's actually pretty hard to step out and own a perspective, you know, especially in the psychedelic space. And so I'll say that I I think the real training here, and in fact, the irony of it is that I, I do believe that plant medicines are teaching us how to hold a perspective lightly, you know, shaking the neural snow globe, quieting the default mode network, loosening our grip over the story we tell ourselves and inviting us to not cling onto our beliefs about anything at all. It's the practice of, of really genuinely trying to stay open, which again is easier said than done. So as you listen to this interview, keep in mind that I'm evolving. You know, we all are. It's very likely that I'll look back on this episode and chuckle at myself at my perspective because maybe I'll see something in a different light. You know, God willing, I will see something in a new light in the future. So when we listen to other people speak, you know, it's also that invitation to create space in our own hearts and minds for other people's growth and evolution as well. You know, this is something I'm learning on a personal level when I think about my relationship to someone close to me, like someone in my family, and I hold a narrative about who they are, and that narrative might stay the same. Meanwhile, you know, they're growing and learning and evolving as human beings, right? It's so interesting the way that that narratives work like that. And so some of the topics we touch on in this conversation are just so freaking nuanced, you know? Psychedelic leadership is such a nuanced topic. And oh my goodness, sometimes these topics just feel like minefields. And there's just not enough time in these conversations to offer the full picture perspective, you know, to look at it from every angle. We just can't. And so these topics are just rampant with paradox and ironies that, trust me, are not lost on me. Now, let's set the stage here for the opening of this conversation and why you are literally listening to my nose run and me like constantly sniffling for like the first entire half of the episode. I mean, I, I'm sniffling all the way to the end because I didn't have a Kleenex nearby and I didn't just stop and say, hey, pause, let me go blow my nose. Uh, but What's going on there is that Natasha opened this episode with this beautiful grounding meditation that she wasn't recording. And she just channeled something in the moment that just brought both of us to tears. And it was imagining both of us sitting on this porch as old women looking back on our lives and all that we've done. And I've just been in this really tender hearted space, you know, making peace with my own life, making peace with my own impermanence lately, like really connecting to the knowingness that one day I'm just going to be dust going back to this earth. And when we really hold this knowing in our awareness, it just can't not bring you to tears. You know, I mean, at least that's just the case for me anyways. And if you haven't listened to my solo episode all the way back at episode number four, I mean, I can't believe I'm about to hit episode number 30 next week. 
you know, I recorded on the the initiation of bowing at the altar of impermanence. It's just such a, a bittersweet topic for me. And it's also just really up right now because I'm moving through a big portal of transition and transformation in my life. I'm coming out of a decade-long relationship. I'm calling in a new home base. And honestly, I'm just working really hard right now. You know, that ebbs and flows in my life, but I'm holding space for this three-month microdosing mastermind which we talk about a little bit in this episode. And I have over 30 people in that group and it's a lot to hold space for. And I love it. And it's also, you know, energy output. And I have the podcast. I'm also in graduate school. And now I'm really moving through this time of transition out of nine years of marriage. And so, you know, I've been reflecting a lot on this notion of impermanence. And also when I'm working really hard and I'm working to support this psychedelic movement. You know, I have a vision that inspires me and it's also a lot of energy output. And I've needed to really zoom out and look at the bigger picture and really ask myself, you know, what do I really care about? What do I value? What's really important to me right now? And what is this all for? And Natasha just really struck a chord in my heart with her opening meditation. And so the conversation opens pretty much in me mid-sentence when Natasha hit record. And I was speaking to the sense of just how honored I felt to be able to interview some people in the space who have dedicated their lives to this movement and feeling like there's this passing of a generation. And this generation that just holds such a wealth of knowledge and wisdom. And I've felt really privileged in moments to be on the receiving end of these conversations with people like Dennis McKenna and Sandra Ingerman, for example. And in this conversation, you'll see it just doesn't get more raw than this. Well, unless you listen to the episode on Ho'oponopono, where my mom and I do this real-time forgiveness practice. Okay, maybe I should say that it doesn't get more raw than that and holding space that it can actually get more raw than all of this, more real, more authentic. And that's the invitation that I'm giving myself permission to step into right now. And the truth is, you know, getting back to the runny nose is that I'm a crier. I do shed a lot of tears. It's how I process emotion. And I also love to laugh, which you'll hear throughout this episode. But, you know, I just, I feel so deeply. I feel a lot. And sometimes I also feel really passionate about what I'm speaking about and just leaning more and more into giving myself permission to show up in the expression of who I am in the okayness of who I am, that that passion is energy and life force moving through me and just owning that, you know, and giving myself permission to be in the expression of that. Okay, enough about me for a moment. I want to say something about Natasha. I adore this woman. Check out her Awaken podcast. I'll post a link to her podcast and her Instagram in the show notes. And I will have Natasha on this podcast as a guest as well, where I'm interviewing her. And so Natasha has been with Synthesis Institute, gosh, for quite a few years now, and they've been rolling out some pretty high level psychedelic facilitator trainings. 
they have a really a world-class team that they've put together to teach these training programs. And Natasha is just doing such great work with them. And that's actually how we met. I was invited to come and spend a weekend dropping into their program in the Netherlands. Gosh, that was pre-COVID days now. But Natasha is just so much more than that role. Of course, we are all so much more than our titles. She is such a beautiful space holder. She's a guide. She leads retreats. And she is so full of wisdom. And I really cherish our blossoming friendship, especially the long, hilarious, voice memos we leave for each other on WhatsApp because we both love to laugh, which again, we do quite a bit in this interview, especially when she says some really funny shit right at the beginning. So at the end of this episode, I'm going to leave you with a song called Serve the Truth by my dear friend, Mary Isis, which just felt so appropriate for this conversation where we dive into a whole bunch of nuanced topics related to vision and psychedelic leadership. And before we dive in, just one more note that songs like this can be found on my playlists for Psychedelic Journeys and Beyond. There is one playlist on there that is so great for cultivating a microdosing morning flow. And you can find that on my website at livefreelauraD.com, where you can also swipe my free eight-day microdosing course, which really gives you a good foundational starting point for cultivating a microdosing practice. All right, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Natasha interviewing me for this episode of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. Some of the privilege of the conversations I've had with some elders where I feel like I've received their wisdom and, you know, holding space for their passing for the, that generation. And we're stepping into this, you know, you and I are stepping into this generation now of, you know, eldership. I mean, I'm not quite there yet, but um, yeah, just holding space for the passing of the generation and thinking about myself as an old woman, if I can make it that far, you know. And even, and more just thinking about the perspective of, you know, what it's all for, what we're doing, everything that we're doing right now and what it, what is it all for, you know, and bringing that perspective into the day to day with all the waves of change we're surfing and everything, all the energy we give to people every day and just bringing that bigger picture perspective of what it's all for. Yeah, I know. I know. It's one of the things why, oh, what do um, I realized recently because my uh, Dutch grandmother, half Portuguese, half Dutch, and my Dutch grandmother is alive, and she's a children's book writer. And they're writing a biography right now uh, about her, and she was looking through her own diaries uh, throughout the years to get pieces to to give towards the book, and she shared with me how that was to read her own her own story about what she was cooking this afternoon and, you know, how she was playing with the dogs and I came to visit and all those memories. And I thought to myself, I don't have those diaries because I'm not a writer in, in that sense. I don't, you know, I, I, I write in a different, in a different way in space. And then I thought, but I do, it's this podcast. So when I did the opening centering of, I really envisioned myself sitting on a porch and sitting with some sisters and being older and sitting in this space and then listening back oh wow you know the question that I asked was so alive back then only if we would only know <laughs> that this would have mean this in the end or you know like yeah. so I, env- I envisioned that calmness and that reverence of 
uh, elderhood that we're stepping into ourselves. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> that being said, mm. I um, I found my first gray hair this week. <laughs> <laughs> I told I told my lover that and he said, Did you pull it out? And I was like, Hell no. No. I would never. Like, are you kidding me? I wanna embrace my silverback. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, I, I have them on my head, but not pubic hairs yet. So, so I'm happy about that one. <laughs> Oh God, that's so funny. Muscular bundle there. Oh, so funny. Uh, thank you for this beautiful start, Laura. Laura Dawn, sweet Laura Dawn, how we got to know each other through the work, the work and, and holding that space and you coming in with the playfulness, open heart and beautiful smile and me going... Like a little girl, you know, when you're in a playground and looking at another girl and saying, I want to be your friend, but she's so pretty. I don't know how to, I don't know how to tell her that I find her pretty. <laughs> you know, like this little girl part showed up. And um, I remember in the end of the ceremony where I was just like, okay, I need to switch this around. So I put some dance music on and then I started dancing and you came back in the space. I was like, I like you, we're dancing. <laughs> <laughs> and that was just a beautiful introduction into, into our connection from then on. And uh, I just wanted to say and start naming here on uh, the podcast about the work that you do and how much inspiration and a, a lot of um, respect I bow my head down for the work that you do, for the path that you do, and the absolute brilliance in communicating very clearly and standing in truth. Um, and truth is for many of us a very different truth, truth. There is only one. So I really wanted to share that today. I have this opportunity to have that recorded. <laughs> um, and I, I would love to start... Um, Laura, with actually going a little bit back in time, um, and um, because there's one thing, there are a few things that bridge uh, our lives in a way that I don't think we even fully realize, but one of the things that uh, I recall and I was reading up on, on you is about your past and about, you know, plant medicines and how it helped you through depression, but also addiction, and uh, I, I recognize that path um, very well. And I would love for you to just go a little bit back in time. And if you can share that journey uh, a bit with our listeners, especially who those, these listeners might not know you. So to give some context before we go into other juicy topics. Yeah. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for those kind words. It means so much, um, coming from you and the way that you hold space. I just admire and respect your space holding capacity so much. And I felt the same about you. I was like, Oh, I just want to be her friend, you know? And, and once people see like what a goofball I am and how much I really just love to dance and joke and laugh, you know, it's, it's a, a whole different story in terms of cultivating friendship from that place. But thank you so much for 
the invitation about my my journey and my past. Yeah, in my teenage years, um, I, I definitely struggled with depression. I remember hearing Eckhart Tolle's definition of like the pain body for the first time when he came out with um, the power of now. Uh, it would just really struck me, and it was just that feeling of of I don't know where this is coming from. You know, this pain body. It's it's um, well, actually, you know, I'll start by by going way back before I was even born. Uh, about a year ago, I had an ayahuasca journey, and you know, it's twenty years of working with plant medicines, and still new things coming up. And my mom and I are actually quite close, and I had a vision in that ceremony of something that happened before I was born, prenatal trauma. And I called my mom the next day, and I asked her, you know, what happened when you were pregnant with me, and she said she started crying and and she'd never told me this, you know, and this was just a year ago. And she said that she quite far along in the pregnancy, she was going for an abortion and she went to the clinic and she was about to abort me. And then she decided last minute to keep me. She said, you know, I gave my other three children a chance. I have to give you a chance too. And and that came through the medicine and I felt it, you know, and I felt that the, the, just the imprint of wounding of not belonging, you know? And so in my teenage years, there's so much, you know, that we're dealing with in this culture where, you know, we're, I think everyone's just trying to figure out what it means to be alive on the planet today, you know, and just making sense out of just that, you know, um, just living in this story of separation, as Charles Eisenstein would call it, you know, this disconnected reality where we all live in these cookie cutter homes and everyone's so disconnected and working so hard and just so much rampant stress. And I mean, that was 20 years ago. Like now it's this like, you know, amplified to the max. So I, uh, was definitely in that place of just struggling with making sense out of what it means to be alive. And being a teenager struggling with depression is just so hard because you think like, what's wrong with me? You know, what, what is this? And I, I had a very strong propensity to want to explore the unknown, sort of hurl myself off over the edge. And I had my first high dose psilocybin experience when I was about 14, 15. And it was at that time I started intuitively just taking very small amounts of psilocybin, uh, when I was going to school and it actually really helped me. And so this was many, many, many years ago before, you know, the term microdosing. I remember the first time I heard the term microdosing, I was like, Oh, of course that makes so much sense, <laughs> you know? Uh, um, and then, you know, over the years and, and it was different back then, you know, it wasn't in ceremonial context, but I, I just, I received so much benefit from being able to have these journeys at that age where I was out in nature, looking up at the vastness of the cosmos and questioning, why am I here? You know, what is this all for? And just laughing from like the gut, you know, like from the depths of my soul connecting to that place of laughter. And I think that that stayed with me all of these years, you know, there's a strong propensity towards like seriousness and drive and all of that. But having that backbone of, of laughter and humor at the sheer irony of what the fuck it means to be alive right now is actually, you know, one big cosmic joke in a way. 
And, and then in my later, you know, as I, as I was still coping with so much, I was in graduate, I was in uh, my undergrad, I had a, I have a degree in finance and was sort of on the fast track of success. And I was struggling with, with, um, drinking and with overeating and just numbing out, you know, it was the, the quintessential numbing out, not wanting to feel and moving into more cocaine addiction. And it was actually one very strong LSD journey that I was struggling with, with cocaine addiction with my ex-partner. We were doing a, a lot of, um, yeah, just a lot of cocaine in those days. And I had one LSD journey where I saw myself I saw myself from a different perspective and I saw other people on cocaine that night and I saw an energy quality there. And I said, you know what? I'm done. I don't want that to be my life. And I walked through a door that night and put down that addiction and never went back. And that was really the beginning of understanding addiction. And I spent actually many, many years doing a lot of research into addiction. I wrote a book about food addiction. And so I had to do a lot of research there and understand, you know, the mechanisms and, and more from a spiritual perspective than anything. That was the inquiry. Like, why am I numbing out? Why am I reaching for something to not feel? And I found Pema Chodron's teachings and Eastern philosophy that have had a tremendous impact on my life. Huge, huge impact, more so than I would say anything, um, including psychedelics. You know, those teachings have helped me an enormous amount. Just learn what it means to be present and sit with discomfort. And I, I find that those teachings around um, yeah, making contact with groundlessness and, and learning how to cultivate presence in the midst of discomfort, learning what it means to sit in the middle of the fire that goes hand in hand with working with plant medicines. You can't work with plant medicines for 20 years and not know what it means to sit in the middle of fire and sit and make and learn how to sit with discomfort and make peace with that without trying to push away when you have nowhere to run. There's nowhere to run in ceremony. You have to sit and stay. And I think that that's helpful, yeah. you know, to start making peace with, with addiction, with numbing out, with distraction. And there's full-blown addiction. And then there's the myriad ways, the millions and millions of ways that we move away from the present moment, moment by moment in the everyday of our lives, you know? So I think that that's what plant medicines are ultimately showing us is it's not about the medicine, you know, it's about how we show up and meet the medicine. It's about consciousness. It's about connecting to the vastness of the, the conscious awareness that we really are, you know? So that's, that's the journey really. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. And there is, you know, so much recognition in the words that you, 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 you're using right now, because I think my first experience was also 1415, uh, with psilocybin. And, uh, at the time I, I wouldn't realize what was shared with me until a few years ago actually so sometimes it takes mm-hmm. it takes almost a lifetime to to fully unpack uh, what has shown up um and exactly sitting in that uncomfortableness um i recall a moment of deep deep heart pain and shame of the space of when the moment when you start peeling away that onion of stepping out of okay i have to i have to deal with this right now cannot go any further and then going through the layer of shame how you've abused yourself how you've showed up in relationship with others and i recall a moment sitting in the shower of sitting in that pure uncomfortable space and 
having a full-blown awakening process and having a full-blown multidimensional quantum physical expansion of awareness where, you know, as a child, I would always see more of a, um, um, uh, sacred geometry with, with plants and things what you would see within a, you know, when you are in plant medicine space and, and that was such a turnaround for me. And that was almost like, um, the precursor to go towards plant medicines and, and that work. How was that for you? What was for you the pivotal point of where you said, okay, now um, you've done intuitively microdosing in the past. You've reached a point where you were indeed in a numbing, that that sitting in that pain. What was the transition for you to then go? Okay, this is my my life where I don't want to be. This is my path. But this is where I am. Yeah, exactly. I would say it was the moment that I. I mean, every moment has sort of led me to this moment, you know, so it's all been so relevant. Um, you know, working with psilocybin and LSD for about 10 years and then meeting ayahuasca, I would say, was like the real turning point of like, oh, okay, this is my path. You're my teacher. And this is what I want to dedicate my life to. And, um, and that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people listening who work with ayahuasca. And I also happen to be <laughs> my, my father's daughter, which I would say is just radically stubborn in the way that I want to live my life and choosing to work with medicines in a way that is outside the box. And right now it's so interesting. I find this to be such a paradox with the amount of judgment in the psychedelic space. And I understand why, you know, I, I get it. I have judgments too, you know, as we've talked about. Um, but really dedicating my life to what it means to listen to a direct transmission from the plant medicines themselves without it being like, oh, I need to fit into this plant medicine box or this plant medicine box or this, you know, I, it has to be done this way or that way because, you know, otherwise it's called quote unquote cultural appropriation or, you know, which is a whole can of worms. And I have so much respect for all, always, always. And also the moment that I drank medicine for the first time, I, I knew she was my teacher and that I had a lot to learn from her and how I could just show up as a human being working with a plant, like all human beings have done for millennia. You know, I would say that was really the turning point. I realized that my dharma was to cultivate the understanding in myself around what it means to be a visionary. And that is a tricky place to walk because being a visionary or a leader of our time means that by definition, you're stepping beyond the status quo. So even stepping beyond the status quo in the psychedelic space, you know, is really nuanced territory. It's really tricky to navigate that space. Um, so I think, you know, and then we have judgments, you know, it's like, gosh, I hear, I hear people holding all kinds of, you know, uh, ayahuasca and electronic mm -hmm. dance music and ayahuasca and yoga. Now, I mean, it's like, there's something for everyone. So it's like, I try as much as possible to maintain an open mind and like 
we, we can all hold it with, uh, safety, harm reduction. You know, there are key pillars that we can't skip over, I think, no matter what we're doing in the space. And I think just holding it with this awareness for me in this process of, okay, what does this mean to be a visionary? And are these plants really here to show us how to think in this way? And I believe that they are. And maybe that's just a, a transmission that, you know, is meant to come through this being in my life and dedicating my life in that path, but also just knowing what I don't know, like the vastness of how much I absolutely do not know. The more you ask, the more you realize that you just yeah. don't know. So it's like, how do I hold that spectrum of being a leader, wanting to educate, wanting to support people and also saying, I really, there's so much that I don't know here. We're all learning in real time right now. That's what's happening in the space, you know? How do you see the the, the challenges as a, as a leader yourself? You know, I mean, in, in a simple way, you know, there's so many, as we learn and we grow, something that I believed two years ago, I might speak something very different, right? So how do you create an accountability process for yourself? right? Or a reflection process for yourself to be in this visionary state and be in leadership and be in taking the responsibility in in that space. What is, how do you, what's your take on that? Oh yeah. I mean, there's so much to say about that, but, um, well, first of all, really knowing how to, um, set yourself up to make honesty really easy, you know, so in a sense, like, okay, so I just started my microdosing mastermind, which was the essence, the idea came through a visionary uh, medicine space where I said, you know, there's so many people wanting to step into leadership roles in the psychedelic space. It would be really great if we had this cohort of people where we can really cultivate a container that really sets us up for honest communication, clear feedback, supporting each other in a way that lifts each other up and creates sort of a model and a blueprint for how people can create peer-to-peer support networks um, to not just like, quote unquote, hold each other accountable, but to teach each other how to navigate this space with a lot of humility and a lot of learning. And so it's like, we just started, you know, our first sort of content call yesterday. And so I set myself up to be able to say in the future, you know what, I was wrong about that by opening the container and saying, I don't have all the answers. I'm learning right alongside you. I might be leading this container and holding this, you know, the primary space holder for this container, but by no means do I have all the answers and I'm here to learn just as much from you as you are from me. And that's my hope. So it's in a way, and I genuinely feel that. So I'm also setting myself up for at the end. And I even said that, you know, at the end of the three months, I can't wait to tell you all the things that I did wrong and all the ways that I learned about what not to do next time. So I can share it with you and you can learn from that and we can have exponential growth and transformation. So, you know, one level is the personal level, honesty, radical honesty, you know, humility. And I'm not always humble. Like I'm not always, sometimes I have these moments where I'm like, Oh my God, I just (laughs) did like the coolest thing, you know? And it's just like that, that balance of being able to like hold what we're creating and, you know, eye to the sky and feet on the earth, you know, it's like that, Mm -hmm. that, So the personal, I think, level and then the cohort peer to peer level and then the, 
you know, elder level and the people who have been doing this a long time and having people who love you, who you trust and who you know will give you honest reflections and help check yourself in those moments where, you know, we come out of a big psychedelic space and we have all these ideas. Like I know that space of my transmission channel being way open, like way, way open. Mm -hmm. And someone being like, here, let me grab your foot and like bring you back down to earth, (laughs) you know, and, and, and that's real and it's real and learning how to set up the structure of our lives too, you know? So it's like the personal, the peer to peer, the elder, and then the structure, the larger container, the set and setting, you know, set and setting. I mean, it's like, gosh, when we're in psychedelic space, it's just amplifying what's already there. So how do I set up the foundational practices of my life to incorporate, you know, good sleep habits and good eating habits and meditation practice that help me check myself and show up to the best of my capacity as much as possible. Because if I'm getting four hours a night of sleep, I'm not showing up in centered, cognizant, you know, full, I'm really debilitating myself on a certain cognitive level. So that's a sense of responsibility that I have as a leader to take care of myself, you know, and seeing it from that perspective, I think is really important. Yeah, beautiful. I love this topic about this uh, leadership. And I know, of course, this is also your your topic and your work and, and, and how you show up and you what you bring across also with your podcast. It, it's, it seeps through very clearly, uh, you know, so the so the leadership aspect of for those listeners of psychedelic leadership, just making it simplify. What does that really mean? What does that mean to be a psychedelic leader? Okay, well, this is a funny story because, you know, I, there, there is a nuanced, okay. You know, those images where it's like one image, but you, if you look at it one way, it's a bird. And if you look at the other way, it's like an old woman, those like perceptual (laughs) illusions. It's kind of, it's the same thing with psychedelic leadership. So I initially was like, oh, of course, you know, the essential components of what these, these key pillars of what psychedelics and sacred plant medicines teach us in our lives, like empathy, like pro-social behavior, which means a willingness to help support other people just for the act of wanting to support other people. Um, creative thinking, creative problem solving, which is the, the master's degree I'm currently pursuing. Uh, you know, looking at all of these ways that psychedelics are helping us. They're an advanced training ground to teach us how to become more heart-centered, more empathetic, more compassionate for ourselves, but also for other people, you know, more connected, more aware of our connection to this earth. Like, you know, as, as Dennis McKenna, who's just so poetic, you know, he says these, plant medicines are the neurotransmitters of the guy in mind telling us to wake up. And we, we're at the ninth hour here. You know, we have to wake up. We don't have a lot of time, you know, as Pema Chodron would say, there's no time to lose. So that was really my, uh, my sort of entry into this, this naming of the podcast, which was an excruciatingly painful process. And for the first several months, I agonized over this thought of people are going to just think that I am so hubris to like claim this name, psychedelic leadership. And so the flip side of that is, you know, what most people see as psychedelic leadership name is, oh, this is a podcast for leaders stepping into the psychedelic space. So I sort of unintentionally put myself in that role and I would never from that angle would never have chosen that name because I 
I, I'm like, I, I don't follow me. Like, don't, you know, no, for the love of God, just don't follow me. Like this is, you know, it wasn't that. And, and I didn't really realize that, which is so funny because my mind was just so focused on, on like the old woman and not the bird. You know, I was really just like so focused on that one angle. And then I really realized, you know, oh, okay. Uh, I'm receiving a lot of emails from people asking about facilitator training and how do I become a leader in the psychedelic space? And so my sort of the programs that I teach and the work that I do is how do we cultivate a heart-centered leadership regardless of the domain that we're in, you know, but it's looking at the pillars of like, what are the sort of key tenants? Like how do we work with plant medicines to help cultivate a vision that expands the boundaries of what we believe is possible. It's time to think bigger. We have to think bigger. And that's what leadership is, whether you're in the psychedelic space or not. And so I've created a sort of a roadmap, a framework that's really come through the plant medicine space called the path of the creative visionary bodhisattva. And there's big components to each one where I weave, you know, wisdom, these teachings that are thousands of years old that have had a huge impact in my life. Nobody owns these teachings. They're for humanity. They're to support the awakening of humanity. And they just so happen to go hand in hand with plant medicine space. And then there's this whole teaching around, um, yeah, what it means to embody the visionary. How do we train ourselves to think bigger? And that's again, my, my mind thinks in Venn diagrams. So it's like, you know, the visionary piece is thinking bigger, but that's what Pema says, you know, the distillation of what it means to be walking Mm -hmm. the spiritual path is going from narrow mind to open mind. Mm -hmm. You know, that's the same thing. And that's what it means to be a visionary. And that's also what it means to be creative and think creatively. So weaving science, psychedelic research, you know, what is, what are we learning now with neuroplasticity? How are we seeing with Dr. Robin Cart Harris's recent research about pivotal mental states. Like what can we learn from that and apply what we understand with creativity training, like training ourselves to think more creatively and leveraging those windows of heightened mental flexibility with the goal, the the drive to solve some of the most challenging, uh, complex problems that we're facing and help uncover solutions to those so that we can radically choose to live differently on this earth right now, that we can find solutions that help us live more connected, that help us embody more self-compassion for ourselves and others. Like look around, these are the most divided times, Yeah, you know? these teachings help us build bridges. And that's what we're all doing in this space is how do we build bridges, whether we're in the psychedelic space or not, we need to find more unity between us and our fellow humans. Mm -hmm. And so that's my take really on psychedelic leadership. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I could go like, I have four questions. I go like, if I go that way, we'll go that way. We'll go that I, way. Totally. <laughs> I love it. You're, you know, you can, you can hear you're a podcaster. <laughs> you just like in Dutch, we have a saying, you put a quarter in it and it just happened. You know, you just put a quarter and it just happened. <laughs> and it goes on. Um, but I want to, I want to ta- keep on with, with a topic around uh, the, the leadership piece, because, um, one of the things that I realized this was about two two years ago when started creating a woman's leadership retreat. And um, the word leadership was very funny because I had to had to untangle the meaning of it because I reclaimed the word. 
like the amount of times that I even till today see women, men, doesn't matter. Oh, I'm not a CEO. I'm not this or that. I have not accomplished this. And then the word leadership, how much, um, <clears throat> how much stigma or, uh, you know, limiting belief is on, on top of that, of that word. There, no, there is also another part of it that is the leadership part where, um, there is the part where people call themselves leaders, but have not walked the miles of being a that leader. Everybody's a leader, but are you that leader? Are you that that person, right? <clears throat> to be an expert in a specific field or in a specific space. And especially when it comes to psychedelic space, what you said, I mean, I, I recognize that, you know, like, oh my God, the open channel. Yes, this is what I'm going to do. Okay, come back down, be, be grounded. And I do miss from time to time where without judgment, where I pick up on people's uh, ambition and sometimes even entitlement, if I can say that word right now, which might trigger some things for some listeners, but I'm going to say it anyway, of I've had this experience. Now I own the experience. Now I know about this and now I'm a leader. And because, especially because in marketing and branding and wholesales, besides psychedelics, we're being branded on our individuality, not on our we-ness, not on our us-ness. So how do you see, and speaking into psychedelic space of the word, the gold rush around the psychedelic space, right? And the leadership created. Yes, I want to touch upon it with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's so tricky because I know that there are people who hold a lot of judgment about the work that I'm doing. I know that. I've received emails and, you know, there's I, I it's like okay, sometimes your your critics tend to speak the loudest in your own mind, but what I find to be really helpful and and it, again it's like it comes down to this place of people like oh but i have good intention you know oh but i i have good intention and i'm following the path of my heart and i say this too you know that i'm also following the path of my heart and there's nothing that replaces experience you know and so for me it's like i don't really care if you have a degree in psychology if you're a therapist if you're doing the maps training if you have a phd i mean people have been working with plant medicines for millennia without you know with outside of the <laughs> the medical institutions so it's like you know uh so that's not it for me it's like like for example if you're in the sort of cohort of people who uh, who are now on the psychedelic bandwagon because of Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, I don't necessarily think that you have a depth of experience because that's just too recent in our sort of collective movement to be stepping out and leading big companies in the space. I think that's premature. Um, my sense is that and what I, what I really emphasize is like, there's this place around, cause you said it, it's like this place of self, self judgment, self criticism and fear of stepping out. So that's unhealthy, like being afraid of stepping into embodiment of what it means to like self accept ourselves and know that we can, we can be leaders. And so all of that has to be held with as deep sense of responsibility. So I, I have this whole thing around like permission, 
self-permission coupled with response, self-responsibility and a very strong support network. You know, who are, who is your, your support network in this space? Uh, because it is unfolding rapidly. It is unfolding in real time. We are learning. We do need to be able to check ourselves. I don't think that we'll grow through and learn and transform through shame and public shaming. Yeah. Um, and I think we are seeing that a lot now. There are some really big compo- like people who have landed on the top 100 most influential people in psychedelics who, you know, have had very few psychedelic experiences themselves. How do you lead in the psychedelic space with having, you know, very few psychedelic experiences? I, I've, you don't I don't think there's enough of a backbone, you know, these, these experiences changes over time. You just said it. You're just receiving the gems of some of your journeys when you were a teenager. This shit takes time. It takes (laughs) time. Gotta let the dust settle and not just let the dust settle for two weeks, like two decades. Yeah. You know, that's what it, you can't replace that. I, in my opinion, and, and it's just my opinion. And if this is triggering for you to listen to this, that trigger right now that you're feeling is good medicine for you. Look at that. Yeah. What is in that trigger? Why do you feel defensive looking at that? You know, that our triggers are really good medicine for, for all of us. Absolutely. It's, it's, um, uh, it's the, where the magic lies, you know, it's like, uh, I call the, the golden, the golden shadow part, you know, if you, if you're willing to willing to see that part within you. you know? I love that term golden shadow. Ooh, the golden shadow. I'm gonna yes. use that. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll attribute that to you. No, no, absolutely not. Did not create that. Believe me. I read that once. Oh, <laughs> I don't I even, I don't it. even recall who, who, who can claim it, but, uh, it's something that I've always want, used because because it's very much how I've worked with people, uh, you know, always bringing back. If anybody knows me well, is always like, what's the gift? You know, always the question and, and what's the gift goes back to sitting in the uncomfortable, sticking with it, go walk that mile. You know, like for me, it was uh, walking to Santiago de Compostela and really literally collapsing down in 2013 and realizing I cannot walk any further on this path. I need to sit. And meditation was the only thing that literally it was like the divine said to me, now sit on the ground and just sit with your shit, literally. And that was, that was the way forward. Um, but talking back on, on, uh, the leadership piece, what I love, I, I don't recall which episode it was and where you said it. And I think it was relating to, um, uh, to probably the microdosing, mastermind microdose course that you're having. I think I listened to your, um, um, your, the episode where you're, you were sharing, explaining. And a few times you said the word about the shamanic process of it and the, um, you know, when, when you move somewhere, you want to change something that it's first in the energetic field. You know, if you want to create something that it's an alchemical process, I don't know if alchemical was the words, but I do know that you've shared the shamanic process in it. And that to me, it was like, um, uh, you know, when you sometimes hear people speak and it's like a, like a little bell goes off of, yes, this is truth. You know, like for me, it's like a tingling sensation in the body or it is like a, my head goes a bit like like upwards, like, oh, yeah, 
yeah, that's that's a that's a truth. That is a resonance in my in my own syst- system. And what I what I love about that is because it brings you back to this heart centered space when you do approach it the work this way. Now, my question being is the leaders that come on your path that might that are probably from the paradigm which all of us are in leadership maybe position of maybe not necessarily a psychedelic space or moving towards it but using the space to understand self better better what do you see the challenge in that development in that leadership in that leader from coming from that old paradigm, going into the process of heart-centeredness? Wow, that's a really good question. You're welcome. <laughs> uh, well, you know what's so interesting? Uh, so I received a lot of applications for this mastermind. And one thing that actually really struck me was that about 80% of the people. So in my application, it's pretty in depth. And I also ask people, uh, you know, what are your three most empowering beliefs? What are your three most limiting beliefs? And the words imposter syndrome came up like 80%. I couldn't believe like that exact term over and over again. And, and at first I thought, wow, this is so interesting. But then through 60 plus applications, almost 70 applications, I probably saw that exact term 45 times. Wow. I mean, that's remarkable to me. That is, that says a lot, you know, and that's speaking to, um, yeah, the fear, the fear of stepping out, you know, and, and one thing I've learned through just my own process of, you know, it's like, we're kind of all finding our way in the dark here. You know, it's like, I'm like inching out and I'm kind of like, Ooh, is this okay? Like, I'm like, you know, I'm like, can I, uh, you know, it's, it's so interesting. And yeah. so, and so again, it's also complex and so nuanced. Um, but that's why having that support system and, and knowing, uh, you know, when it is time to give ourselves permission, you know, being a visionary is our birthright. Being creative is our birthright. That's our birthright. Yeah. You know, whether you put a label of leadership on it or not, I mean, we're all leading, we're all leaders. At least you're leading a party of one. At the very least, you're leading a party of one, you know? So just even recognizing that, but we're so conditioned, the old model, the mold is, you know, the quintessential cubicle. And we're going through, you know, I've been an entrepreneur my whole life. I was raised by two entrepreneurs. 10 years ago was a very different entrepreneurial landscape than it is today. Now people are leaving the cubicle in hordes, in herds, you know, by the dozen. And, and, and so there's a whole, you know, learning curve around that as well too. And how do I, how do I cultivate myself as a thought leader, for example, you know, but I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing to sort of tie in this, the shamanic piece is that when we spend all of our time facing outwards, when we spend all of our time looking at the external environment that keeps reinforcing more of the same. Okay. And we can go deep into the neuroscience of perception here, but 
the gist of it is that if you spend all of your time looking out at this solid 3D reality, you're like entranced with the solid 3D reality. It's hard to see beyond it. If you want to create something that does not yet exist on the face of this earth, which is the definition of what it means to be a leader. If you want to receive, follow through on wisdom that you receive that is beyond the current prevailing belief system, you have to go within. Yeah. It just, I, I mean, I, okay, maybe you can't make a big ultimatum blanket statement like that, but I would say like very likely you have to go with it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's there. There's, um, uh, there is other dimensions of reality. You know, I just recently saw a quote from Maria Sabina that was like, there is the invisible realm that is so close. You can't see it, but it's always there. You know, it's always there. It's here. And the plant medicines, I feel like plant medicines are helping us to just attune our awareness to this subtle dimension of reality. And that's where quantum physics and shamanic wisdom intersect completely. You know, and science is just validating what shamanic wisdom has known for thousands of years. And I met a shaman named Minari from Ecuador, and I met him in Costa Rica. And he said something that was almost to the T what, you know, Einstein said is that the field is the sole governing principle of the particle. It's the sole governing agency of the particle. It's the field. And that's what space holding is. When you cultivate yourself as a space holder, what are we doing as space holders? We're holding space. We're tapping into the field, the energetic quality of space. And that space, we can learn how to shape and mold into 3D reality, and he said, you go into the other dimensions and that's where you influence reality. And he said, I doubt he spends time, you know, he's walking in full regalia. Like I doubt he's spending time reading quantum physics, you know, yeah. but it's exactly the same. And so I think that that's the hardest part is teaching people how to spend more time going within so that they can start tuning their awareness to another dimension of reality that does exist. That is where we imprint. That's where we create from the power to create our reality starts in our mind. And it's led by this resonant frequency in our hearts, our emotional being, our mind is not separate from our body. And so, you know, I would say that that's the biggest thing is, is learning how to stop looking at what everyone else is doing yeah, and what the imprint, what is the mold? Like the molds are so strong. It takes a lot of will to imagine something different than the mold. Because if you're always looking at the mold, it just keeps reinforcing. It's like more and more reinforcing of that. And that's why, that's why full circle moment. I really believe that people who don't have enough root in altered states of consciousness in experiencing, paying attention to the subtle dimensions of reality, who then go into launching major ventures in the space, they're perpetuating the mold, the current Mm. mold. They don't Mm. have enough root into new model. Okay. So let's talk about new model reciprocity. That's a Mm. new model. You know, if you're not, I mean, and, and okay, people can spend a lot of time paying lip service to reciprocity. Yeah oh, let's just build it in so that it looks good on our corporate deck as we go raise $3 million. You know, I, I, and I'm not, no shame against money. I'm all for abundance, but it's such a different level. It's even redefining what success means. 
You know, I consider myself to be very successful. I poop in a compost toilet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's so beautiful. And, and, you know, talking about um, um, the ultimate satisfaction and his contribution. When you step out of certainty and significance, you go into contribution. And that's definitely something that I'm hearing you say in other words. But, um, you know, what, what is received through plans where you said about, you know, giving back heart centeredness, empathy, all these qualities that are that are needed in building a new a new structure. And and it isn't there yet. And society isn't set up in that way. Uh, I was talking to my partner the other day and I was sharing with him is like if I as a psychedelic entrepreneur who organizes retreats and travel want to have a certain bank account I don't need a loan. Uh, I don't do loans. But if I want to have a bank account, if I want to have specific insurance, if I want to have, that doesn't exist. Society is not set up in a way that uh, that is also moving in that direction. Um, now, I'm not a keen believer on insurance that I need it. So I'm not calling that I'm not something <laughs> need insurance for anything. Not calling anything out here <laughs> that I need insurance for. But it's, it's um, you know, it, it's a very interesting way of everybody wants to be that spokesperson, the influencer. Um, but what we really need in this space are models of, okay, how does this foundation of in this new parent, how, how does this look like? We, we, it's not just one person, not one Laura or one Natasha is going to think of it. It's people with specific um, capacity and understanding of the old that are going are, are gonna to think of it, are going to move into that, especially the financial parts. I mean, it's so interesting. So many things are happening in that as well. Um, I don't want to divert the conversation into into money, but uh, yeah, it's absolutely also where the change is happening. And um, is there anything that you're seeing where would be in this the psychedelic space and within this community the thing that we should focus on more? Like, is there a, I'm asking something because sometimes, you know, is there a blind spot that we're having right now? We're all focusing on, on, oh on gosh. an expansion of something and everybody wants to be the, let's say, spokesman i'm creating a, a podcast i've got you know like i'm also a spokesperson it took me about three years to step out of my uh, out of my little cave uh to actually come above ground and when i was asked to contribute to a book i had the imposter syndrome for about six months writing uh, only one chapter like it was the most horrific experience ever of I'm going to be, who am I to say anything about this? I don't, I don't know anything, you know, like I went completely full blown uh, in that process. So giving some time for you to think of maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's so tricky. I mean, there's so much collective shadow. And again, it's like this nuanced territory of like, when we give ourselves permission to hold it with responsibility and not to get crippled by imposter syndrome, it's like, it's like the people that, you know, who drink medicine once, and then they're like, I'm going to be a shaman. There's like that end of the spectrum. And then you also have the end of the spectrum of, of someone that, you know, who's been drinking medicine for 20 years and you know that they would just be such a great space holder, you know, and they're the ones who are like, 
oh, it's so much responsibility. Like it's, it is so much responsibility. So, you know, we, it's like the, yeah, I think the, the, I think the biggest shadow up right now is that there's that double-edged sword of, we need to wake up urgently. And that's what plant medicines are sort of whispering in everyone's ear. So someone has one journey and they're like, okay, great. I'm going to sell my house and move to Peru in the jungle. (laughs) And I'm going to just like launch a ayahuasca retreat center. I mean, I've seen this happen. So, but it's like, we do urgently need to wake up. And so how do we hold that? You know, how do we hold that nuance of grounded action, you know, grounded action and God knows I have flailed in the space and made huge blunders and huge mistakes, you know? And that's why I think just time on the path of making mistakes (laughs) is what, you know, it's like, it's how we learn. It's how we learn. And so I, I mean, I think that the, I think the shadow right now is, is this notion that, um, everyone wants to get into the psychedelic space yesterday, you know, and I get this sense of urgency from so many people who reach out to me, you know, it's like, I, and then I have calls with people who are like, I know I want to be in the psychedelic space and I just need to figure it out like ASAP. And it's like, just take a moment, you know, just breathe. And, and if you're on this path, the plants will show you, they'll show you, you know, and there's all this like mental, place of just like, okay, we're on the path of dropping into the heart and listening, like listening, listening to that guidance, following it from that space of like the, the, the moment of, of, of every moment is fresh and new and the essence of realization. You know, that's what Pema Chodron says. Every moment has the essence of realization. It's the essence of awakening in every single moment. And the more that we cultivate presence and we learn that, you know, we don't have to be living five years in the future all the time. You know, it's good to go into those visionary realms, but we don't, we're, it, we can all just take a breath and slow down. And we are all learning in the psychedelic space right now. Yeah. I think the other shadow is this place where, um, I think learning from an elder is really a uh, great. And I think that there needs to be different models for the way that we train in the space because someone creating a program. Okay. Mm-hmm. And then someone, someone creates a program, for example, and then we all see that as the gold stamp of, um, facilitation, but those people who created the program we're also just creating the program, you know? So they, so it's like, it's like that awareness of like what we consider to be, it's like, because you pay $3,000 to go train with a shaman doesn't make you a qualified shaman because you go and get a graduate degree, you know, it doesn't make you qualified. What qualifies you is how you hold space and how you cultivate space holding and how you show up to meet presence for anyone that you're serving. And I think the, the big shadow is the, the lack of recognition that you can only take people as far as you've gone yourself. Yes. Amen. (laughs) Yeah, that's absolutely a hundred percent. And that's what, you know, I've been taught every time again. (laughs) 
you know, and sometimes there is a, are you able to deal, you know, when it's easy, comfortable and joyous and people get their thing and they're doing their thing in ceremony. Great. But when there is a full blown projection and you said yes to that projection, it took me sometimes six to nine months to untangle that with care and work and understanding and supervision talks and, you know, why I've, why I've said yes to that projection that was taking place in that medicine space, you know, and that responsibility and nightmares I had from it, uh, of not being able to help someone. And, you know, are you able to hold yourself into, to that, into those challenges as well? So absolutely beautiful. I'm, I want to ask you something about, you know, um, the, the course and, uh, microdosing bit, which isn't of course up, up in the up and running. And, and I've heard you speak on it. I, it was so funny cause I was in clubhouse one time I was invited by this group and a question was asked and, uh, and, um, and I was like, well, you have to do your research. Go search for Laura Dunn. <laughs> that was my answer. And then someone pinged you, uh, you know, someone that we know, Jade from Maps, pinged you. And then like, they're speaking about you here. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that was me. Like, go go find her. Go there, you know. Um, but, yeah, I would love to understand because, you know, um, so many are, of course, doing microdosing with psilocybin. But you're actually going through the vine of, of ayahuasca and using that, which is... I can imagine, not myself, but some might see that as an appropriation or might see that as huh, ayahuasca, like how and what. So can you share a little bit about the this journey and then, of course, the whole mastermind, you know, what, what it ended up in being? Yeah. Well, maybe I'll, I'll just start by saying that the microdosing portion of the mastermind is it is like the central sort of foundation but i i like to frame it that it's really not about the medicine you know it's not about like the thing isn't the yes. thing that you're consuming you know <laughs> it's how yeah. you show up you know the thing is life the thing is ceremony like the thing mm. that we're really talking about is consciousness you know how can we leverage these experiences to allow us to show up and be present and if right now the, the the tool we can draw upon to help cultivate presence is microdosing or medicines, then great. Let's let's work with that. But let's hold it in a way that understands that the real thing that we're talking about here is consciousness. It's awareness. It's how we're showing up to meet the present moment with an, an openness to whatever is arising. Like that's the thing. So that's yeah. like the central component of how I like to phrase it. And then we have medicines, but then we also have all sorts of other modalities that we can combine with, with medicines to help us cultivate not just presence. I mean, I think looking at the context of the world that we're living in today, we're moving through rapid change, exponential change. What is being required and called of us is, is to cultivate emotional, mental, physical resilience, how yeah. to show up centered in the middle of the storm. And that's the, the path of the Bodhisattva is, is you know, I tr I'm training my heart and my mind to stay open in the face of suffering, in the face of discomfort, so that when I go and support someone else who's having a hard time keeping their heads above water, I don't jump in and then drown myself. 
you know, I cultivating, I'm training my body and my heart and my mind to be able to be resilient enough so that I can show up with fortitude to support other people. That's essentially this notion that I said earlier is that we can only support people to the degree that we've gone ourselves. I can only support people in cultivating a daily practice, which daily practice is the training ground for cultivating these qualities of adaptability, rolling with the punches, resilience, flexibility, flexibility of body and mind. You know, the, the daily practice is the, the, the bed of which we plant those seeds. You know, that's the fertile soil for which transformation, transformation, within the privacy of our own hearts and minds. And then they blossom through coming out of that private space and then connecting with other people in our community and sharing those gems and receiving reflections because we're social beings by nature. So that's sort of the foundational premise of, you know, what this is all about. And so really showing people that, you know, we can only support the awakening of humanity to the degree that we're willing to awaken in our own lives. And that's the, that's the foundation. And we do that through cultivating practices and the medicine is one component, but there's like ancient technologies of meditation that are also essential here for coming to know the nature of mind, um, and very powerful practices for cultivating self-compassion for cultivating, you know, this sense of, of, willingness to sit in the discomfort. There are teachings that help us do that, that are incredibly helpful in the moment to draw upon. So it's combining different modalities to, um, to help us, uh, really train ourselves so that we can be more effective human beings on this journey of, of awakening ultimately. And so the medicine is one component for this particular mastermind. Actually it's open for people to cultivate whatever practice with medicine that they feel called to. Um, I have a free eight day microdosing course that helps people get started with the basics. This isn't like a how to microdose 101. This is like how to really deepen in a practice. And, um, my primary practice happens to be with ayahuasca vine. And I happen to have a lot of people very interested in, in cultivating that practice. There's a lot of people on the medicine path who really resonate with that frequency. It's different than psilocybin and LSD and washuma. And, you know, I'm not encouraging people to go and microdose with iboga or ibogaine or, you mm-hmm. know, all of these things. I have a lot of experience with the full um, spectrum that's only the the only thing I'm an expert in is my own experience, right? So I'm not an expert in psilocybin microdosing. I have many, many years of microdosing under my belt and many years of supporting other people in the process. But I, I, I mean, and then even when you start understanding the true nature of reality, we start questioning if we're really an expert in our own experience as well, <laughs> you know? But um, I started uh, making medicine about 10 years ago, uh, in the U S Banisteriopsis capi, which is the name of ayahuasca vine is actually legal. And so that's, uh, important for people to know it's not working with the full brew with shakuna leaf. It's just Banisteriopsis capi, which is an MAOI, which is very similar to an SSRI. So there's big disclaimers that we have to put on here. You know, I don't, uh, just sell people medicine. You know, I have a whole framework. People have to do medical intake forms. I have medical doctors that I consult with. I have to watch out for red flags. Um, but over the years I've supported quite a number of people on this journey of microdosing vine. Just the other day, we had a call on zoom with 18 people cultivating a practice with the vine. And it's so special 
like just to hear the essence of what people are distilling from their practice and the, the level of transformation that's happening. Yes. Somebody might feel very adamant that that is cultural appropriation. Shame on us. We should not be doing it. And if it's bringing healing to people in their lives, genuine healing, like genuine transformation. Mm. And people can show up more effectively, more lovingly, more kind, more self-compassionately. I mean, I've had to grapple with this a lot. Mm. I had to really sit in the discomfort of, is this cultural appropriation? And, you know, I'm not saying... I'm not making a blanket statement that I believe it is or it isn't. I'm just saying that I'm a human being cultivating a relationship with a plant like many, many other human beings have done over the past hundreds of thousands of years. That's what I'm saying. And that I've learned a lot from this plant and I think I can help support other people who want to do it regardless. You can order ayahuasca vine online without any disclaimers on it, without any guidance, without any support, you know, that's kind of how I feel about it. Like if I can bring some level of support that could just even help, you know, expedite someone's like learning (laughs) curve, just even a little bit, I'm like, you know what, that that's probably worth it. And from just the, the testimonials and witnessing and not just in the moment, like I check in with people six months, a year after they go through my programs and they say, this is found, this has foundationally changed my life and my path. So again, if you're triggered by the conversation around cultural (laughs) appropriation, especially if you're listening to this and you feel triggered, I really invite you to look at what's there for you. What is there? Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful way of of working, and I and I see and feel the way you work. And was it interesting because um, a few days ago you reached out, you reached out, and I just had back to back two days back to back that you came into my awareness where I was actually thinking of this mastermind, and then the thought was, well, microdosing. You know, um, you know, I it's I've only had um challenging experiences with it because nothing it's never been micro for me <laughs> of how I perceive and I step into the space and um so I was like oh interesting that's my go-to answer without even talking to Laura about it so I was already setting myself up like my my like the my my brain the cognitive part the one that wants to be in control and everything is comfortable just the way it is Yum, yum, yum. You know, and then I was just laughing at myself going, oh, yeah, you know, you should have this conversation with Laura because I actually would want to do it. And now that my brain is saying like, no, stay here, you know, it's always because there might be other ways around it and I might just need to change the environment or I might just need to change my diet and don't compare other experiences to this experience. So that being said, it's now recorded. I want to do your mastermind. interesting because it comes up a lot for people who, and throughout the years of running these programs, I mean, this is the first time I'm doing this kind of cohort and bringing in um, this mastermind element of, of cultivating thought leadership. How do we leverage our practice to then think in novel ways? And that's the essence of what this is all about. Getting back to, you know, what I've been sharing throughout this, this journey is like how to, 
not just step out as an entrepreneur or a leader, you know, that's all great. People are like, well, you know, how do I have like a content creation strategy? And, you know, all of those things, that's, that's fine and, and great. But I want to cultivate thought leaders. That's what I, I want to do. You know, I want to help support people create original ideas so that again, we can know that that is possible to really start thinking bigger, to start literally, I don't just use it as a catchphrase. I'm very serious when I talk about expanding the boundaries of what you believe is possible. And so what the medicines have taught me, and I'm still learning, and I think I'll be cultivating this framework for the rest of my life, is like, how do we codify transformation and breakthrough? Because if we're operating at the same level of thinking, okay, it's like being stuck in a glass room. So we have patterns in our lives, patterns that keep coming up over and over and over again. We're comfortable in the glass room, but anytime we have this thought of like, oh, you know what? I want to venture a little bit further. We hit the glass wall, but we don't Mm. see the wall. So we're like, Ooh, that's uncomfortable. Like, why did I just like bang my head? But then we'll (laughs) go back to the couch in the middle of the glass room and think, okay, well, this feels more comfortable. I'm going to stay here, you know, codifying breakthrough. And what I mean by that is applying teachings that show us how to find the invisible doorknob so that we can venture beyond the glass room. And it requires tuning into subtlety. So if you're facing the glass wall head on, you're going to miss it. You're not going to see it. It's invisible. But if I say, Natasha, come like a little to the side, look at the glass wall from this angle, focus your perceptual field of awareness from this angle. And then you say, oh, I just saw a glimmer, a light bounce off the glass wall. Now I see it's there. Yeah. Now I, now I can see. And then once you know how to see it, you can't unsee, you just can't unsee it. Then you train yourself how to pay attention in a way where we're refining our perceptual field of awareness. That's what we're doing. So we're paying attention. Where are those patterns? Where do you keep hitting the wall? How can you look at it from this way? It's And and ultimately what it is, is cultivating meta awareness. We're becoming Mm. more aware, paying more attention to what we're paying attention to. And that's essential right now. That is so essential for humanity living on this planet. And so the whole purpose of the mastermind is to start to cultivate our own sense of where we're staying stuck in our, in the glass room, how to shift our perceptual field of awareness to say, Oh, I just saw the light glimmer off the glass. That's where my boundary is. And now that I train my mind to look for it. Now it becomes more and more and more obvious. And now I can see the glass room in entirety. I, I can see it. I see the boundary and now I can also see the door. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Where is Laura going to be from today, June 3rd, today's 2021 that we're recording where is Laura Dawn going to be in June 3rd, uh, 2031? Uh, Ooh, 10 years. I was like, how far are we jumping into the future? <laughs> you know, oh gosh, I just hold the prayer that we're humanity still here chugging along in 10 years, you know? I think things are changing exponentially and we have no idea what the future needs to hold. Um, 
so for me, it's less about where and more about the, 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 the how and the why and how mm. I'm embodying my life, you know, regardless of where I'm at. I mean, I've been living off grid in nature for, um, 15 years, you know, yeah. and so in different settings and I can't not live, you know, I, in, in nature, it's like, I don't have a door. I'm in the jungle. You know, I, I live in a converted tiny home and I am going through a very big portal of transformation. I've had some big sort of punctuation points in the chapters of my life. And I'm facing that again right now. So I'm in this point, you know, after this mastermind, I'm going to go take some time off to really go in and restructure the field, imprint the field so that it can sort of coalesce into the next chapter of what that wants to be. But for me, I, I just pray that in 10 years from now, um, some of the projects that I'm birthing right now, like grow medicine, which is all about, uh, reciprocity. It's about building an app that, uh, before or after people journey with medicine, they open the app, they click on the button of what they just consumed. And it goes towards replanting, supporting sustainable regrowth, and also giving back to cultures that we've, you know, been, uh, learning from over the years. I'll put it that way. Yeah. And, uh, and so I, I just hope that, yeah, less about me and more about like, I hope that these projects really take off and that, um, many vines will be planted and many iboga plants will be planted and that many toads will be conserved with some of the conservation efforts that we're looking at supporting and that, you know, more and more people will be living in joy you know, and in the, the, like I say, dancing with the, the frequency of inspiration, you know, that Mm. more people can find what's alive for them and that I can feel like I'm sitting on my porch, overlooking nature in whatever way, knowing that I contributed to that in some good way, you know, and that it was all worth it, that it was all worth it. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you so much. I would love to wrap it up with some random questions. How I close just random out of the air. I'm not prepared at all, but I'm very curious about, let me see, what taste excites you? Like a literal, literal taste? taste. Literal taste. Where you go when you taste that, that like something awakens in your your system, in your body. Well, I have... My vine medicine right here, I would say this, this medicine, you know, the ayahuasca vine from Hawaii has a very sweet taste. It's nectar. And when I, I put it in my mouth, I just, that awakens me so much. <laughs> I just love the love taste it. of that. And I also love, uh, I, I love, uh, um, durian I'll say sits at the top of my list for taste of goodness creamy raunchy durian (laughs) that's beautiful and what do you what do you see as beauty in the world Mm. i have a little owl that just birthed about 30 feet from my bungalow Mm. that's beauty you know seeing seeing the way that the myriad ways that life expresses itself in like so many different forms, you know, and just that it all just emerges from source, you know, this little owl has been 
You know, it sounds it, it, it sounds cute, but this owl has been keeping me up for the last two nights <laughs> so loud. And I was like, wow, this owl is like very present in my field right now. But just yeah. beauty in all the ways, you know, I just the way that life expresses itself. Yeah, beautiful. And um, if you <clears throat> would be an animal, then what what animal would you be? Oh, definitely. The owl is the visionary season the yes, dark. Yes, because I thought yes. you were going to answer that, but I just needed to know. I was yeah, like, is that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's my animal totem. I I see at least two or three owls every day. Mm, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they're all around me. And, and I really feel that deep sense of connection. I mean, they are the archetypal visionary. They, yeah. you know, yeah. they fly in the night. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So last but not least, if you would not be doing what you do today in terms of contributing, contributing to the world, the things that you, what would that be? Like, what would be if you would not be doing all of this? Do you know what's so funny is that I've had like a few close reflections that yeah. people have said, you, you, even if you were so wealthy and you could, didn't have to work, you would not be able to let this go. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I don't know. I mean, I can't imagine not doing my, my life without it. I really just can't uh, on this yeah. path. Um, I would, maybe I would say I would, uh, I would want to go and spend like two or three years in deep meditative retreat with Pema before she passes. Mm, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I would say m more like m monastic life. Yeah. I would actually, um, can I give an answer to that too? What ah! I would see with you? Yes. Um, so I see you as an architect. Yes. I and, like and that. Do you, I really actually, I used to, when I was a kid, at one point I went through a yeah. phase where I was like, I'm going to be an architect, but building temple spaces. Yes. Oh Yeah. And, and because it's in, it can be literal, but it's also an architect of building, you know, foundation and, and the way you choose the words. And I can, I can see it architecturally when you speak and I see when I use vision, I can see it. It's very architectural thought of systematic, structured, very precise. Uh, every angle needs to be in exact right way because otherwise it, there is no, you know, there is no balance and it will collapse. So every time you speak and you, you speak about the way you work and the things you create and how you see things and even the examples of saying uh, the, the wall, the clear wall and look at it this way and that angle, you know, it's like even in those words, I hear the architect. I <laughs> so. love that I love that I love that and and also holding the vision for new new projects to birth to in the future and where that's going yeah. you know um I'm also um really excited about uh, running retreats again it's been a year and a half with COVID you know I really mm -hmm. miss running retreats and part of the the beauty is being on a hiatus to go back to graduate school and getting this degree in creative studies and change leadership and applying more of that to the retreats and doing more corporate retreats because I, I want to be educating and instilling this kind of, uh, yeah, these kind of qualities in the, in the, the leaders leading in, you know, the yeah. business realm as well, I think is really important. So that's really exciting to go Beautiful. in that direction. Laura, sweet Laura, thank you so much. Thank the birds and the owls and the beautiful sounds in the background. And that's 
the first thing I always hear when I put your podcast on and it always makes me smile. And I love the fact that in your very first episode, you excused the fact <laughs> that you have burps. I think every human being that's listening is like, it's a lush for the ears to have the, the nature around. So I'm thanking that nature. Um, and I'm thanking you. Thank you for being here today. Thank you. It's such a pleasure. I just adore you. And I also want to mm. give a big shout out to everyone on the Synthesis team who's doing really good work and just really appreciate how you guys are embodying psychedelic leadership as a team. It's really, really phenomenal. So thank you so much for having me, Natasha. I love you so much. Thank you. Hi, friend. Thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. If you've been enjoying the show, I would so appreciate it if you could share it with a friend or post a link on your social media or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Or if you feel inspired, I would so appreciate it if you could leave me a review on iTunes. If you'd like to get in touch with me, please feel free to reach out through my website at livefreelauraD.com or connect with me on Instagram at livefreelauraD. I also host weekly Clubhouse Rooms and you can find me on Clubhouse at livefreelauraD. I'm going to leave you with this song called Serve the Truth by Mary Isis. Once again, my name is Laura Dawn and you're listening to the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. Until next time. I believe in the power of my soul And I embody the magic of my word Affirming the truth of my highest being in every cell of my body Feeling the truth